welcome to the CrocCast, Peace Studies Conversations, convened by the Croc Institute for International Peace Studies at the University of Notre Dame. I'm Kat Bolton, Associate Professor of Anthropology and Peace Studies at the Croc Institute. I'm also the guest editor of the latest issue of the Croc Institute's Peace Policy Publication, which focuses on the important role youth and young adults play in peacebuilding around the world. This is one of three episodes dedicated to conversations with the authors of each of the Peace Policy articles. I'm joined here by the author of one of those pieces. Prashanda Visser is a 2015 graduate of the Kroc Institute Master's Program in Peace Studies and is the founder of the organization Global Unites, which inspires, connects, and equips youth to transform global societies through movements promoting nonviolence and reconciliation. Thank you for being here, Prashant. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute joy and a privilege. <laughs> so I have a few questions for you today. So Prashant, in your piece, You start out by sharing a bit of your own story of growing up in the midst of cyclical conflict in Sri Lanka. I wonder if you can say a bit more about that background here and how it inspired the work that you're doing now. Yeah, thank you. So growing up in Sri Lanka all my life up to the early 30s, we were in the midst of a civil war. And growing up as a teenager in the midst of this war, many times we were taught to assume that violence was the only way and there was a lot of prejudice across ethnic and religious lines. A lot of extremist groups who come and brainwash you and say, the reason that you're suffering is because that community took things away from you and uh, that you had to be violent towards them. Or then this was the prejudice was just sold at you day in and day out. But over the years, I started making friendships with these so-called enemies and so-called monsters from other communities in different parts of the country. And I started realizing that if I could have been brainwashed to believe a lie, that violence was the way that these people were monsters and there was no way to coexist with them or thrive with them. Then as somebody who was from a very progressive, liberal, well-educated family background, if I was susceptible to be radicalized like that, how much more kids who were living in segregated societies, rural communities, how much more at risk they would be. And so we realized that every time youth were targeted by extremist groups, on either side of the divide. But what if we created a youth movement for moderate youth to stand up for what was right, for justice, for healing, for reconciliation in our country? And that was the birth of Sri Lanka Unites. Uh, today, we are one of the largest youth movements in the country with over 30,000 members and nearly 50 full-time staff and 10 centers across the country. And wherever there is hate, wherever there is prejudice, wherever there is an effort to recruit young people towards extremism or violence, we are there to provide a counter and that these young people know there is a better way. And that's been such a joy and a privilege to see young people who could have been violent, who could have been prejudicial and racial, and maybe the ones who start a new civil war are now leading reconciliation and justice and peace initiatives across the country. That's wonderful. It's just so impressive. And of course, you've learned many valuable lessons along the way. And your piece includes many great lines about these lessons, but one of them that stands out in talking about your work with Global Unites is that, and I quote, we don't focus on youth because we see them as a risk. We invest in youth because we see them as the linchpin for sustainable peace and national transformation. So can you talk about some of the reasons you lay out in this piece that illustrate why it is strategic to focus efforts on equipping youth with peacebuilding skills? So why youth? Why is this a strategy? Yes, definitely. When we started working in Sri Lanka and then the movement started growing into these 13 countries, we saw this common theme across all our continents. One thing was 
the more we invested in young people, the more rewarding our peace building work was. And uh, when we looked at it, one of the aspects of with young people, once they latched onto a cause, they were willing to do anything. They would go the extra mile. They would go above and beyond. Like in my country and many of our countries that we work in, young people were willing to be violent or even sacrifice their life. In Sri Lanka's context, we've got young people willing to strap a bomb around their waist and blow themselves up for a cause just because they were brainwashed to believe that was the only way. Now, that's commitment. Why don't we tap into that resource of this amazing commitment young people have to, when they see a cause, when they believe it, and if we nurture them in the right direction, they can do phenomenal things in a country, especially towards a difficult process like peace building. At the same time, you're not going to see peace and sustainable peace overnight. It's going to take a generation. And if you help these young people see it as their mandate, you can do it. Our parents' generation failed. They couldn't find a way to live together, to thrive as one people. But maybe your generation is that generation. And they can start working, understanding the grievances and the injustices over the years and trying to find solutions for all and justice for all, not just for your people. Mm-hmm. At the same time, one thing I see with young people that I'm, I'm always inspired by the more we invest in them is the fact that they're willing to look at new, innovative ways to find a solution. For very long, people say, we've come to a deadlock. There is no solution here. But young people come to the same issue and say, hey, how about we do it this way? And they bring in a plan C where there was only a plan A and a B and a deadlock for decades. And they just look at it differently. And they were able to innovate differently. And at the same time, young people see now because of social media and because of the internet, they see the world and they see how the world has progressed and they're moving on. And they see we're fighting each other and living lives in the Stone Age when we could be working together and doing something significant. So there's this desire for more and they know that more can be achieved together as opposed to the previous examples of generations before them. That's fascinating. So you started by founding Sri Lanka Unites. How did this become Global Unites? It was interesting. We never set out to create a global movement. We were responding to our challenge and trying to proactively find solutions for you in Sri Lanka. But then with the advent of social media and we started sharing our story and what we're doing and stories of transformation of young people who were once violent and now leading peace work, we started getting messages from young people in Congo, in Kenya, in Uganda, in Afghanistan saying, this is very similar to what we're going through, the conflict and how young people need direction and they need some support and they need a platform to do the right thing. And then we started realizing maybe we have more in common. Maybe we can share resources, share understanding. We started off with taking a team from Sri Lanka to Congo, and we replicated and contextualized our conference for future leaders across tribal lands in Congo that we've done in Sri Lanka for many years. And the results were amazing. It is inspirational to see a new movement in Congo named Congo Unites. Next thing you know, we're in Liberia, in Afghanistan, Colombia and so on and so forth. And so we want to, as Global Unites, we found three reasons where youth movements like ours didn't have a lifespan of more than two years. Mm-hmm. Number one was burnout. Yeah. Uh, the founding leader or the founding team, they just couldn't keep up with the moment, the need, the need on the ground. And sometimes the burnout of even relationships of people in the team, they just couldn't see how they were going to focus on this in the long run. Secondly, financially, they didn't have the resources to keep going. It was not sustainable funding. So Mm -hmm. they run out of funding and then they just couldn't focus on the work. 
And thirdly, it was a lack of an end game. They didn't know where they were headed. They would react to the problem, but there wasn't a, a vision for what's the end game here? Where are we going towards? And so as Global Unites, we decided that's what we want to do. We want to ensure that key founding leaders and key leaders of the organization don't burn out, that they have that well taken care of, that they have a balance in life, that they're investing in themselves, they're taking rest. And at the same time, we wanted to find sustainable funding for them. How can we provide sustainable funding? In social enterprises and business enterprises coupled parallel with the movement to ensure that funding was always there, that they could hold their own destiny. You know? And then finally, we wanted to say, how do we help these young people really from the very beginning talk about the end game? Where are we heading here? How do we build sustainable peace? How do we work towards that now? So there was a clear strategy in each context. So that's what we do as Global United today. We're a global family. Most of the time when it comes to international relationships, it's from the West to the rest. Mm -hmm. Or it's from well-resourced to the developing world. But most times, maybe the West hasn't even experienced a civil war and a conflict in, in hundreds of years and may not fully be able to relate to our context. But now it's the global South, us, understanding each other's pain, understanding the context and trying to support one another and refine our efforts to be more effective for young people in our countries and across the world. That's fantastic. You partially answered my last question, but I want to push you a little bit further on this. So you're talking about the leaders of these youth movements, but how is it that they reach radicalized young people in their own countries? What are the strategies for doing so? Yeah, so one of the ways we've been following is we look at where has violence happened in the past? In a conflict transformational mindset or an approach, you look at the ebbs and flows of conflict in the past, and you see the cycles and you see where things have emerged. And then we're able to highlight certain provinces, certain regions, certain areas of high segregation, high rates of unemployment, frustration. Those are certain places that we know have the indications where violence could erupt. And those are the places that we want to go and put in all our resources to be a counter message. Wherever there's somebody preaching hate, preaching prejudice, encouraging violence, and giving a hopeless picture to young people to make them do the extreme violent, to make them commit extreme and violent atrocities, we want to be there giving these young people the alternate, a different narrative. And so that's how we've looked at it. And also we look at social media quite a bit. And, and if you're looking at social media, you can also see where are some of these posts coming from, where they're trending, and then we try to engage that way. We also work with the ministries of education to look at the map and see what are schools that are most segregated? What are schools that have had a history of exposed to violence? And we enter into those areas. And so we also no, don't try to say, hey, which is a peace building organization, come join us because the most radical extremist youth is never going to come to us. But we are a youth movement. We want to invest in you. We want what's best for you. And when you say that, a lot of people are looking for people who take you seriously and invest in you to mentor you. You know, it's interesting that Today's terrorists and today's extremists is yesterday's youth who was looking for somebody who cared, somebody who would mentor them, somebody who would invest in them. Mm -hmm. We want to go there. We want to be that to these young people and let them know that they are important, they're precious, they're valuable, and they are the future of our country. And they deserve all the attention and the investment. Because most of the time, our politicians are focused on the older generation because young people don't vote in big numbers. Yeah. And corporates don't focus because young people are not their main market. Mm -hmm. But extremist groups and radical groups spend their entire attention on youth. And therefore, youth are swayed to do as they please. But if we are the ones paying more attention in their lives in crucial moments, 
we can inspire them to do great things and do better things than we did to transform our nations. Thank you, Krishan. That was absolutely wonderful. Thank you for joining us for the Peace Policy Podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you for the amazing investment by the University of Notre Dame and the Kroc Institute and your mentorship. And being a student of yours has been an absolute privilege. Thank you, Prashant. Thanks to each one of you for joining this conversation today. For those of you listening, we would invite you to check out the full peace policy issue at peacepolicy.nd.edu. You've been listening to the CrocCast, Peace Studies Conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs. You can find all episodes of the CrocCast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and online at croc.nd.edu slash podcast. You can also rate and review our podcast, which will help more people find our show. For more updates, stories, and videos from the Croc Institute, follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening.